boom there it is ladies and gentlemen all right join us as we explore today the intersection of technology entrepreneurship and civic engagement in the pursuit of a sustainable and profitable business let's get this one started here we go shut up and sit down look a business can give you everything you want in life prestige wealth freedom it can also take everything away from you this show is for those who are willing to take that risk these are the real life stories of entrepreneurs but before we start i have one small favor to ask please leave a comment it can be advice critiques tips feedback or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency so thank you and welcome to another episode of business Plus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a remarkable guest on the show for the second time. He's a seasoned author, entrepreneur, and expert in agile software development. And he's here to shed some light on the path to building a sustainably profitable business. In our conversation, we're going to dive deep into his extensive experience in the software industry, his passion for creating sustainable profits, and his mission to empower the youth to control a billion dollars in capital. So stay tuned for insight into Agile's practice, Agile's practice's profitable software solution and his work in civil engagement through his organizations like Every Voice Engage Foundation. And of course, um applied frameworks let's welcome to the show mr luke homan all right luke let's do this thing man welcome back you know i think i was in that party sometime when i was younger but we won't go into <laughs> all of those younger days but i I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> you know, you kind of resemble the main character in that movie. If you ever watch Project X, I was like, hey, he can pass as one of your kids uh, by, by all means. Although if that was you, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie. That was one heck of a party you threw. I, I'm going to watch it now. But uh, <laughs> I, I tell you, uh, when I was younger, <laughs> we, we were known to, to have some fun. Well, that's what it's all about. I was literally having that conversation with some of my students earlier. We we're talking about uh, regrets or living life in the moment. And, uh, and, and sometimes that's kind of the answer is, is the only moment you got is the one that's here in front of us right now. But at the same time, there's also the possibility of that future, right? So Luke, uh, before we keep going with our conversation, uh, everybody who comes on the show is promoting something. They're talking about something. There's a message they want to get out into the world. What is that for you today? Yeah, the, the main message is this, is that we've got to change how we think about business so that we can embrace the idea of profits. And I know we think about profits and you think about maybe the money man from Monopoly or some evil person who's like extracting profit and doing all these bad things. And that narrative is really flawed because we need profit to sustain a business. A business can't sustain itself without a profit. I mean, I can't live my life without making more money than I spend. I mean, you have to leave the government aside, right? The government just goes and prints money when they need a jam, but I can't print money. Neither can you, neither can the students. So a business has to be generating a profit. Somewhere along the line, you have to have more money coming in than money going out. And the tech industry is really kind of bad at this because 
we go out and we get VC funding and then we flip companies and we flip companies that aren't making a profit. And the investors are happy because they walked away with a bag, but we're not actually creating a sustainable business. And so people get harmed in the long run. It definitely sucks when your goal and intention is to kind of make a, a societal impact or to bring something of value and you just don't have the funding or the revenue to keep going forward. And oftentimes I've noticed, um, I mean, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and the ones that go in profit driven up front, um, they tend to, to phase out and the ones that have that social impact, a lot of them tend to gather a good following. You're kind of saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're targeting the companies that you're working with, you're like, look, you're already doing something good. You're already doing something that can make a difference here. Let's just look at how you're approaching the pricing side of things to see if you don't have any of that hidden revenue that you could be losing or, or falling away by the wayside just because you didn't know about some pricing structure. I mean, is that what Applied Frameworks is essentially doing? Absolutely. And if, if you think about this notion of sustainability and doing good and doing good work in the world, that doesn't mean you don't get paid. I, I, you get paid fairly. And what happens, especially in software, so software is a little different than other kinds of products and services. We tend to expect that software gets better. I log into some cloud-based service and I see new features or I see improvements or the system's faster, or maybe it's been, you know, there's a new character in my game that I can play. We expect to see these improvements. Well, improvements cost money, right? I have to pay developers. I have to pay marketing people. I have to run my company. And if all I'm doing is making improvements without changing and adjusting my pricing or changing and adjusting my packaging, I can't run a business. And so for me, it's about a fair trade of value. And in my experience, I, I tend to work a little bit more on the business to business side as opposed to the business to consumer. But no matter what part of the world that you're on, people have a sense of fairness, right? I, I know I can't go get a car for free. I got to pay the money. Now, what degree of profit is fair for the auto company? Maybe that's a point for debate, but I'm not going to go get a cup of coffee or buy something or have a business buy something and expect it to be free. That's not how the world works. It doesn't work that way. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if they're starting in the entrepreneurial space, to ask for that extra sale or once they got the sale to make another, uh, another approach to extract money from their client base. But at the end of the day, the real successful businesses are the ones that not only make the sale the first time, but have a revenue stream of extracting cash from those particular clients over and over and over again. Uh, and you talked about the software space. The software space is crazy when you talk to VCs because sometimes I talk to VCs and they're like, look, we stopped, we stopped investing in companies that have X amount of burn rate. And I'm like, wow, you started investing in companies with large burn rates? That's kind of tough already up front. Uh, now I'm talking to VCs and they're like, look, we're looking for companies that are already profitable from day one. Um, and it's kind of tough in a market, especially when you come into software, because there's a phase in there where the development stage comes along and there is no revenue. You don't have a subscription base up front. Um, when you talk about working with, with uh, business to business, uh, when you look at these companies, I'm assuming most of them already have a revenue model and you're kind of restructuring those. 
Sometimes, but let's go back to what you said, because I think what you said is actually really profound. And that is in any new endeavor, any new product, hardware, software, whatever, I do need to have some capital to invest in building it. So this is sometimes called the J curve. And the idea is that I make make some investments and, and my money is going down. I release my product and then I start to make a, 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 you know, I start to get my money back and eventually I make a product. So this notion of making a profit should be inclusive of, yes, we do have to make investments. And that's why we go get investors and things like that. I think the difference is, is this, is that somewhere along the line, your unit margins, right? Or, and unit is whatever unit you're selling. If it's a pen, are you making five cents a pen? If it's a user on your website, are you making 10 bucks a user? Or, you know, if you're selling software or hardware, somewhere along the line, you have to have unit profitability so that you recover those uh, investments that have been made and you eventually become profitable. And, and they're, they're, this is important because a growing company, a company that's doing well is going to consume cash. You're going to grow. You're going to keep growing. But the smart investors and, and it look at that burn differently than a burn uh, from a company that is just failing. And what I mean by that is, let's say that I release my product and my unit is such that I'm making money, but I'm growing. So I'm, I'm still net negative, but on a unit basis, I'm positive. That's a good investment for a, an investor because over time that curve is going to flip and you're going to get profitable. It's kind of like Amazon when they introduced web services. Initially, it was a money loser, but you could run the numbers and you could see there's no way that they could continue to keep losing money on web services because the unit profitability was so strong. That's different than the VCs who are investing in these companies to get you know crap metrics like how much market share do you have. Well, who the hell here? You know, who cares? Like, big deal. That doesn't really matter at that point because you know, building that that large market share is different from do you have a, a sustainable clientele? Like, do you have how many subscribers do you have and that are paying to keep you aboard? Because that's the cash flow that really matters. Market share, that's cool. You can acquire that over time, but can you sustain? Can you float? Can you be profitable up front? That's kind of the the more difficult question. I think that's the one that you're kind of helping fix here. Let me ask you yeah, from absolutely. like a like my students here, they're they're gonna graduate high school, they're gonna go out into the world, and and we're living in weird times where like maybe college isn't the route, maybe college is the route, depending on that profession that they're looking for. You get to speak to a lot of different entrepreneurs. Um, what's what do you kind of tend to notice is a lot of their educational backgrounds. Are they going to a four-year university? Are they looking for specific certifications? Are they going to YouTube university and like learning that way? How how are they building their companies? Well, first, I, I'm so glad you brought up the, the, the very narrow view that we have about the right way to be successful in life. And I think there are a lot of ways to be successful in life. You can... Uh, be in military service, for example, you can be in government service, you can uh, go to a two year degree or a four year degree, you can go to a trade school. And hey, if you're not paying attention to trade schools with the advent of what's happening with AI and, and other quote unquote safe professions, we need all professions. And so I'm really glad that you're bringing it up for your students to be, you know, broad. In terms of where you and I connect in terms of business and the relationship between business and students, 
there's nothing better than actually getting out into the market and just doing work, get an internship. Um, and the companies that I am working with, like Applied Frameworks, we provide internships to high school students, uh, but we actually are pretty tough about it. We say, look, we're going to pay you minimum wage, but we're going to give you real work. And so I think the, the one piece of advice I, I like to give to students is if you want to become an entrepreneur, it's like going to the gym and someone says, hey, I want to get stronger with my biceps. Well, you got to do bicep curls if you want your biceps to get strong. So if you want to become a business savvy person, you got to be working in uh, internships or other jobs where you can get exposed and not even just exposed, but actually do the work. And so get an internship. If they're going to pay you minimum wage, take the minimum wage job, but focus on your learning, focus on your growth. I didn't get my degree right away. I was doing other things in life and I got a two-year degree and then I was out of school for three and a half years. And then I went back to school to get my four-year degree. So I don't think that there's only, because my own personal experience was, I don't think there's only one path in life. And also I didn't become an entrepreneur right out of high school. I became an entrepreneur in my thirties um, uh, when, when a couple of things happened in my life. And I was working for an Israeli security firm and that the first Bush war um, made it a little unsafe to travel overseas as I was. So I started being an entrepreneur through, um, uh, through an external event. And so I think the students should, should know and be comfortable that um, it's okay to start at a job right now. I mean, I'm sure you have students who are actually running businesses and that's fantastic, but you also don't have to rush. There, there is uh, opportunities for growth and learning, but mostly you want to just get into something that lets you grow. And of course, when we get into business, that itself is an enormous field. You've got finance, you've got marketing, you've got sales, you've got product management, you've got product development, um, you've got accounting. So there's these interests that you can have that are associated with business that are actually quite broad. And you want to let yourself explore some of those. Yeah, there's a huge opportunity in almost any industry you go into with the various different sectors that are involved there. I 100% agree with you. Let me bring the conversation back to uh, pricing because that's kind of the expertise that we're talking about today. Um, as as they as they grow up, they go into maybe working for corporate, maybe working for themselves. Oftentimes, especially with with younger entrepreneurs. They look at pricing as something that somebody already set out. They go into an industry and they think, okay, I'm going to charge because that guy charged X dollars. This guy's charging X dollars. I'm going to charge this amount of money. Um, you're, you're taking a different approach when it comes to pricing, looking at some of the value added. What are some of the big mistakes that you're seeing companies make when it comes to their pricing models that they can kind of fix or avoid? Yeah, I would say the the, the, there's two really big mistakes that people make. The first is they forget that pricing is part of a policy that is designed to induce a behavior. So let's take it to a different realm, right? Let's talk, let's talk about taxes. The government taxes us partly to make money for the government so they can do what they do, but they also try to control our behavior, right? So I put a tax on cigarettes to try and get people to smoke less. 
I allow people to deduct the mortgage interest in their homes, which encourages them to buy bigger homes. We have bigger homes in America because we can deduct the interest from our taxes. If you go to other countries, they don't do that. And so their homes tend to be smaller because they can't spend as much on the home. I'm not arguing for or against that. I'm simply saying that it's it's a conscious choice that's trying to change our behavior. So the first mistake that people make in pricing is they forget that the pricing model you go uh, to the market with is actually designing a kind of interaction with your customer. It's, it's designed behavior. And the second mistake they make is they think that pricing is a number. Well, pricing isn't a number. Pricing is a system. And an example of this is before I set the number, I have to determine my strategy. Am I a premium brand like uh, Ferrari or Jaguar? Or am I an economy brand like Kia or Hyundai? And so my strategy around my brand is going to influence my price. Once I know my strategy, it's to what you said. I do need to know what my competitors are doing, but now I'm looking at the right competitors. So my, my strategy is going to help me make sure that I'm looking at the right competitors. I'm structuring the price the right way. And I have to look at my other uh, um, external factors, right? Am I in a regulated industry where there's laws that may govern what I can or cannot do? And then finally, the, the last part of that system is making sure that I know what my discounts are. One, one of the things that we often clean up is we'll go into a, a company, a startup that's growing, et cetera, and we'll say, well, we've done an analysis and your list price is X, but your sales price is all over the place. And, and the owner will be like, yeah, I'll cut a deal. And I'm like, okay, you've grown to the point where you got to stop cutting deals, right? You have to have policies in place so that you have consistency within your sales process and your sales organization. Because if you don't, and people know you'll cut a deal, guess what? They're going to come and ask for a deal. Every single time, right? I, I, it's, uh, I was literally talking about Burger King this morning. I haven't gone to Burger King in a long time. But usually when I do go, I grab that family coupon meal, uh, that deal, and I, that's what I always go with, that same coupon that I go into, into Burger King with. Why? I don't know because I got a family of four and I think it's a great deal. Um, but I don't really – other than that, I'm, I'm not really going into that restaurant. You're, you've you've uh, essentially made me be that kind of customer that comes in for one one thing and one thing only. Uh, and I'm always trying to strike a deal at that particular spot. I don't do the same thing when I go to In-N-Out, for example. They have a standard in their pricing and that's what I that's that's just what I expect. There's no coupon. There's no deal. There's no nothing that's coming in. It's just that pricing there right, right then and there. Uh, let me ask you about, you know, there's a lot of different cons consultation companies that people can go with, especially in the SaaS space, in, in almost any industry. But they come to you because you do something specifically well. And I've had the opportunity to also do some of your video testimonials. So I've kind of gotten to hear firsthand what you do well. But share with the audience, what is it that that uh, Applied Frameworks does so so well in their workshops and in their presentations that customers are coming and saying, look, I need help with my pricing too? Well, the and, and, and I want to give a shout out because you do great testimonials. You, your, your ability to draw out and, and produce testimonials are great. So for, for anyone who needs someone, hire the business bros. They are they're really good. Um, what we do that's uniquely different 
is that we have a standardized process and a template and a, and a canvas. Uh, so canvases are used to help people guide through a set of decisions, right? So there's in the business world, we have the business model canvas, which is well known from a guy named Alex Osterwalder or the value proposition canvas, which determines what, what are the value that you're going to create, but there's no pricing canvas. And that's when we started out to build out, we need a pricing canvas because pricing is a complex system. And what we do well with our customers who need pricing help is we guide them step by step. And we don't say, hey, let's jump to that number that I was talking about. The first thing we do is we say, look, what is the value that you're providing to your customer? And then we look at both tangible value and intangible value. And I, I'll never forget, we were working with a small company who was fighting Oracle. And the founder is like, I don't know how we're doing so well because we Oracle has more features than our product. I'm like, well, why do people tell you they buy from you? He's like, oh, he says, my salespeople are nicer. Our contracts are easier to understand and work with. Our software APIs are easier to use than the Oracle APIs. And when our customers give us feedback, we will listen and respond faster because we're smaller. I'm like, okay, all of those are intangible value that want that motivate people to come to work with you. And you're discounting that. We can turn that around and we can talk about in your marketing and your brand, the intangible assets that you're bringing. We can raise the price. He's like, I can raise price on things that aren't functional. I'm like, yeah, because it's not all speeds and feeds, right? We don't buy a car just on its mileage or its towing capability, we also buy a car based on what it looks like and kind of other intangible attributes. So I think that that one of the reasons people hire applied frameworks is they know that they're going to have a guide through each step of the pricing decision so that the system that we put together actually works as a system to accomplish the objectives that have been laid out. And then we back it up. I, I got my book. Here's our awesome new book. It's a beautiful, awesome book. And it lays out every single thing that we talk about in just a gorgeous way that helps people really understand uh, when we're done with the process, we leave a book behind. And so they have a resource and a reference that they can use. And then, of course, we've, we're building a new software platform and they get access to our platform called Horizon. Horizon is an AI-powered pricing and licensing platform. So you go through the process, and then you can continue to interact with an AI-powered tool to continue to make choices and decisions. Those are all key things, right? And that's the cool thing. Again, when I was doing some video testimonials, they bust, they bust out the, the workbook and they're like, I, I have information here. I've gone to the presentation. He made me look at my product completely differently. Those things are are invaluable. I love the, the fact that you have those intangibles. Kind of reminds me of like, the reason why I go to 7-Eleven, it's convenient. It's easy. It's right there. I'm willing to pay a little more for the products that I get there because of the convenience factor. And they know that that's involved in their pricing model. Same thing with CVS and Walgreens. They know that their convenience 
is a value that's added to each individual item that they're pricing. That's so genius. And I don't think a lot of people kind of look at that. You're right. They just overlook these things. Uh, as, as a company, I feel like every company is trying to improve upon things that they're doing well. Like you have the workbook, you have the workshops that are going on. What else are you trying to improve upon as a company to kind of bring more value to the people who are using your products? Well, the probably the most, uh, there's, there's actually two vectors for us in terms of improvement. The first vector is working on our software, right? We are, we're making a transition from a services company to a software company and that transition is exciting. And so we're just putting a lot of money and time and effort into the software platform that we're building. And of course, uh, being young and moving fast, young in terms of our offering gives us this real exciting, like, you know, every week there's an improvement. Every week there's something in, that's better for our customers. The other thing that we've done is we've created a global network of partners. So there's so much demand for pricing help that we don't have the ability to service that demand. And frankly, I don't speak German and I don't speak French. So when I when people are in Germany, they want to work with someone who speaks their language or people in Paris. They want to. So we've got a global network of partners that we're building. And I fly around the world. My partner, Jason, he flies around with me and we do workshops and 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 partner enablements to grow our partner program. And we're really proud from a cold start in April when we published the book. We had no one as partners. Now we've got. Um, a, a huge number of partners in the sense of a growing company. So we've got about 30 partners and, and some of those are really large companies, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue as consulting firms. And so that message is getting out and we're really excited to support our partners through the materials we create. So we create the materials and we design the workshops, our partners deliver it, and then everyone supports each other through the software platform and the community. So it's kind of an ecosystem, but it's all focused on helping companies create sustainable businesses. And at the end of the day, that's what companies need is they need a network of relationships that help them grow. They need uh, customers that are willing to pay for their product, their services, and they need companies like yours to help them find those intangible things to price their stuff correctly. If companies want to reach out, uh, talk to you, Luke, about what it is that you do, how you do it, when you have your next workshop, can I get a copy of that workbook? How can they do that? Well, the the scrolling feed at the bottom is the easy way, right? Just go to AppliedFrameworks.com. The book is Software Profit Streams because we want a flow of revenue. We want a flow of profit. You can get that at Amazon. And I also want the students to know that um, it's okay for them if they are starting a company and then maybe they sell a company and they do something else. So when we say that it's a sustainable business, I, I don't want people to think and walk away like, oh my gosh, you know, you have to be doing one thing for your entire life. Some people do. That's great. Some people don't. That's okay too. But the point is what you're doing at that moment has to be done from the perspective of sustainability. And because when you have that sustainability perspective, you mentioned it earlier, you're going to create a better result.
Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you're building a business, you want to build one that you can sell at some point that somebody is willing to buy because you may not want to sell. But if you ever want to exit this company, you're already structured in a way that anybody can come in and just purchase it and have this cash uh, cash flowing machine that they can work on and continue to grow or add to their existing company base or whatever it is that they're going to do with it. But you have to build it in a way that you can sell it at some point in the future. You're exactly right. Luke, thank you very much for coming on the show today, man. Uh, I always appreciate you uh, as, as, as far as a client is concerned. I love what you're doing with, with your uh, B2B efforts right now and again it's an honor to do video testimonials for you and uh to hear what you're doing for these clients and you're shaping their their businesses some of them are like ready to launch i i literally did a testimonial the other day and he was like i'm ready to launch and then i went to this thing and i'm like eh, i need to take a, a little bit of a pivot here on my pricing uh to because they, they uh, literally you're opening their eyes to different opportunities they didn't know were possible. So again, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for coming out, ladies and gentlemen. AppliedFrameworks.com. AppliedFrameworks.com is where you can find Luke. And if you're in a business where you're looking at a way to try to kind of raise that revenue, you don't know what to do, sometimes it's better to have somebody look from the outside in and figure out what you can do to fix some of these revenue problems because you're probably already doing a good job. So uh, Luke, thank you very much for coming on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. Thank you. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast, but not just any podcast, podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.